0: I know I have said this in past episodes, but it's just as valid for this topic in this episode as well. And this fact is just very uncomfortable, it's very annoying, it's very frustrating, but it's the truth. We just seem to be getting sicker despite all of our medical advances. I mean, what is happening here? For example, we're not just getting sicker physically, but emotionally as well. Yes, there's a rise in depression and anxiety. And of course, the pandemic didn't help. But this trend actually started before the pandemic. The pandemic just escalated that rise. And of course is the issue with obesity that's directly tied to what we're talking about in this episode, which is diabetes. Over the past four decades, obesity in Western nations has become a global epidemic, affecting an estimated 603 million adults. 603 million! That represents 12% of the world's adult population. And one of the known sequelae of being overweight or obese, of course, is impaired glucose tolerance or just frank diabetes. And this is making news as it should. Out of Scientific American, published on October first, 2022, out of the topic reproduction, the title of a new news release is, There's an Alarming Rise in Diabetes During Pregnancy. Again, we're just getting sicker. The CDC has found on its analysis that gestational diabetes has risen and that is also a rise not just in those who are overweight or obese, but even in those that are non-overweight. Is that weird or what? So it's risen for those that are overweight and obese as well as in those that are non-overweight. Here's what the numbers look like according to the CDC's analysis. According to the trends in gestational diabetes between 2016 and 2020, the prevalence of GDM jumped 30%. That means that now nearly 8% of U.S. pregnancies in 2020 had gestational diabetes, and that trend is continuing. Obviously, some populations have rates that are even higher than that, but we're talking about 8% of U.S. pregnancies in 2020 overall. Just to put these numbers into perspective, the CDC states that the prevalence of chronic hypertension affecting pregnancy in the U.S. is about 2.5%. All right, so you've got gestational diabetes at like 8%, chronic hypertension at 2.5%. You're like, well, where's like the gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, and all that? Well, that's even worse than those two, because according to the CDC, the prevalence of pregnancy associated hypertension now went from 10% in 2017. In 2019, it's now 13%. So if you're going to rank these in terms of a frequency or most common, it's pregnancy associated or related hypertensive disorders. That's first, then gestational diabetes, and then comes chronic hypertension. Again, that's all from the CDC all to say pre-existing diabetes and pregnancy and gestational diabetes are obviously out there. So we have to understand what's the latest data regarding its management. And right at the forefront of this is the topic of continuous glucose monitoring. So we're going to dive into that in this episode. But there's a lot to cover there. I mean, are are we talking about flash monitor readings? We're going to describe what that is. Is this continuous monitoring? Is this in pre-existing diabetes? Is this in gestational diabetes? What is the data? show? And are any of these devices even allowed for use in pregnancy? Are the FDA cleared? There's answers to these questions, and we're going to hit some more in this episode. So let's cover continuous glucose monitoring in pregnancy now. Laura, thank you so much for reaching out to us and for requesting this topic as one of our episodes. We hope you find it helpful. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. We've got plenty of podcast family members from across the pond in the UK, and I have to say, the UK is just killing it. I mean, they're leading the data here uh, with regards to continuous glucose monitoring in pregnancy. Yes, there's a lot of other countries doing it, including the US, but they've really done great advances for patient care, uh, so much so that the governmental agency, I mean, NICE, so that's the NICE, has actually endorsed continuous glucose monitoring for all pregnant women with type 1 diabetes. Now, if the question is what about gestational diabetes, well, hold on a minute, we're, we're going to touch on that, but and we're going to get into the whole NICE changing guideline, because that just happened in 2020. That's relatively new, all right? That was December of 2020. But uh, all to say, they are definitely leading uh, this charge uh, for better diabetic control in pregnancy. Now, when we talk about this issue of of continuous glucose monitoring, we, we do need to make a distinction here, all right? Because there's two different kinds of monitors. There's the kind that gives this continuous read all through the 24-hour interval, and then those that only register the glucose on activation, all right, so you bring up like the phone or a reader, boop, and it gives you an, a, a little read. It doesn't actually make that sound. I just did that myself. Uh, that's called a flash read or an on-demand read, okay? Most of the data has focused on continuous glucose monitoring, although there was one study using a real-world model, and we'll discuss that a little bit later on in the episode, using uh, continuous glucose monitors or those that were called flash devices, right? So you put your device up or the sensor up, bing, and it registers a, a read, By and far, it's definitely true that continuous glucose monitoring, real-time continuous glucose monitoring, uh, has an advantage over the flash reads because you're not going to wake up at 3 in the morning when you're asleep and do a read right? So there's one publication that showed, man, if we just put it on and just do a continuous read, we can actually find some pretty alarming stuff even when the patient is asleep, nocturnal reads. And we're going to address that a little bit later on in the episode. Something else that we have to define is a term that we don't really use unless you're using continuous real-time monitors, and that's the TIR, right? That's the time in range. So that's a big deal because while mean glucose is super important, we're going to explain what that means in a minute, uh, independent finger sticks, you see why independent finger sticks are just little dots in time. But it doesn't really tell you the mean exposure of the fetus uh, to glycemia. That's why continuous glucose monitors and time in range, uh, what is the target uh, glucose values that we're looking for here is critical. So we now know that outside of little finger sticks, the next best thing to get is mean glucose determinations over a period of time. And the best is the time in range, right? The the time in range means the amount of time in a 24-hour interval per day that the patient is at the target glucose values. That is super important because those actually translate to measurable improvements, uh, both for maternal health and neonatal outcomes, okay? So we talked about continuous real-time monitors, those that are called flash devices, and then we just touched on TIR, even though we're going to get into that a little bit later on in the episode. The last thing I want to discuss is closed loop systems here for diabetes and pregnancy. That is uh, cutting edge, it is right on the edge of brand new data, but we're not there yet, right? So a closed-loop system is using continuous real-time glucose monitoring connected to a wearable pump uh, that's now like a smart pod, uh, now they're wireless as well. They don't have a reservoir, they have a built-in reservoir, and then based on what is being read by the real-time sensor, then it distributes insulin on demand. Fantastic. That's called a closed loop system. And that's gaining support in pregnancy. But my goodness, for the US, I just want to hit the first base, get to first base, which is the yes, let's change from finger sticks to continuous glucose monitoring, because the data is there. It's no longer experimental. We're going to get into that. And then uh, step two or, or second base is combining that with a closed loop system, I guess that the final base, uh, third base, would be finally doing this as universal standard. And ACOG and SMFM says it's time to do that. OK, so that's as we kind of round the bases, that's that's kind of our outline of what we're going to do here. And we're going to focus on, on really the landmark study that looked at this, which was out of the Lancet back in 2017. OK, that's called the concept trial. That's a big one. The concept trial kind of started all of this in a real scientific uh, pitch, a real scientific endeavor uh, to get this ball rolling. There have been other studies before that. But really, concept was the big driver here. So that's just kind of our quick outline. I feel like I've already given away too much of our little clinical pearls in here. But let's get uh, to the data now, starting with the concept trial out of The Lancet. Here's why this whole issue of continuous glucose monitoring makes sense. Because we now know that it's not just what your individual finger sticks say, it is the overall exposure of the child, of the fetus, to maternal glycemia, hyperglycemia, over extended periods of time, uh, that leads to large for gestational age macrosomia and then nicu admissions because of predominantly because of hypoglycemia this is how medicine moves fast it's not just what your periodic little finger sticks tell you at certain spots in the day it's the overall time of exposure okay so the fetus's overall time of exposure to maternal glycemia or hyperglycemia that is directly related to these effects like lga nicu admissions and even preterm birth likely because 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 they're indicated because of other comorbidities. That's that's not uh, uh, questionable. It's not controversial. Direct link between time of exposure of maternal glycemia levels and adverse neonatal outcomes. That's a given. So not only can we get a better picture of the time of exposure of the fetus to maternal hyperglycemia, it's just uh, nicer. I mean, you don't have to stick, uh, do finger sticks four times a day, which I get. I mean, there's worse things in life. I understand that, like chemotherapy and, you know, other really invasive and unpleasant issues. But still getting stuck four times a day when there's an alternative is just kind of hard to justify. Plus, finger sticks only give you that reflection at that moment in time. It doesn't tell you what they've been doing overall. And that's one of the criticisms now with finger sticks is that, they, hey, they had a role, it's all we had. But now we can actually look at Total time in range and you can't do that with finger sticks so you see how there's a lot of advantages here with continuous glucose monitoring devices that you just cannot do just by picking the finger also remember that when we're doing a finger stick that's looking at capillary blood glucose, okay, but these monitors are not actually looking for capillary or even venous uh, blood levels. remember that they're looking for glucose in the interstitial fluid. So there can be a little bit of discrepancy, a minor discrepancy between the two, but it should shouldn't be vast. i mean if if one value is uh, from the monitor is is ten points off from a finger stick, then that has to be recalibrated, all right? So these machines do need to be calibrated, these monitors, and they should agree within reason, but anything off more than 10 points or so, is, something's not right. One of the machines isn't calibrated. But if somebody asks you, well, how is that thing checking you know, uh, blood glucose levels? It's not. All of these sensors are checking for glucose in the interstitial fluid, which has a, a very good correlation uh, to glycemia levels. Guys, if you can't tell, I'm low on caffeine because I get kind of wordy. Okay, Uh, I'll get caffeine after this next break. All right, so let's focus on the CONCEPT trial. This was out of The Lancet. This was the biggie. This was from November 25th, 2017. Uh, And CONCEPT actually stands for a continuous glucose monitoring in pregnant women with type 1 diabetes, right? So C-O-N-C-E-P-T-T. How they got concept out of those words, hey, it's not for me to discuss. But anyway, the concept trial with two Ts was a multi-center international RCT that took a look whether continuous glucose monitoring in women with type 1 diabetes, so I don't want to give any false impressions here, it's not about GDM, these patients had pre-existing diabetes, uh, but it was to see if it could improve outcomes compared to the traditional model. All right. So the concept trial, Lancet 2017. So, these researchers randomly assigned 325 women, 215 pregnant, and 110 who were planning pregnancy to either capillary glucose monitoring with continuous glucose monitoring or without. Alright, so capillary glucose monitoring with a continuous monitor or just capillary glucose monitoring. The authors found that those with continuous glucose monitors spent more time in target and less time hyperglycemic than did the pregnant control participants. They also had comparable severe hypoglycemic episodes. Neonatal health outcomes were significantly improved with lower incidences of large for gestational age, fewer neonatal intensive care admissions, and fewer incidents of neonatal hypoglycemia. You see, here's where this validity of time in range actually was established, okay? So what they found is by keeping a patient in better target range, and I'm going to give you what those numbers are in a minute, here's how the odds ratios looked for LGA, for neonatal hypoglycemia, and for NICU admissions. For LGA, the more that those patients were in range, the odds ratio for large gestational age newborns was 04 In other words, it cut the incidence down in half. For hypoglycemia of the neonate, the same thing. Odds ratio was 0.45. And for NICU admissions, the odds ratio was 0.48. So if you're a very statistician-y kind of person and you're thinking, well, what's the n- number needed to treat? In other words, that's great. I get that. But what are we talking about? I need to treat 50 to get one of these you know, outcomes, improvements? The answer is no, not at all. The number needed to treat for LGA with a continuous glucose monitor for that outcome was just six. The number needed to treat for the improved outcome of neonatal decreased rates of hypoglycemia was eight. And for NICU admissions, the number needed to treat was just six. Now, here's how it gets pretty neat because this shows you how data really can change policy. All right. So in 2017, this comes out from 2017 to 2020. Other reports are coming out that, hey, especially in patients with pre existing diabetes, remember, those are our more brittle diabetics, uh, using a continuous monitor actually is a cost saving. Uh, Because you spend less time in the NICU, patients can go home sooner, and so it's an overall cost saving to the system for type 1 diabetic care in pregnancy with these monitors. Well, that's all that the UK needed to approach their policymakers, and so the NICE then updated its guidelines in December of 2020 this is pretty neat. So now it is completely funded. How great is that? So if you have type 1 diabetes and pre-existing diabetes in pregnancy. um, uh, You are able to get a continuous glucose monitor from the UK, from the um, NHS, because that's part of routine care. Fantastic. I know, I know we don't have that in the U.S., but I'm just making the point that it just takes some data to come to, to light, to come up through the water for policymakers to go, man, we can actually save money here. I mean, it's going to cost us a little bit at the front end by giving out these devices, Uh, by purchasing these devices, absorbing that cost. But you make that up on the back end because it's less neonatal hypoglycemia. Remember, that number needed to treat to see that value was eight. So we can get them out of the NICU sooner. We're going to have less cost there. And that's your most expensive driver is NICU stay. So it's an overall cost savings. So just to bear in mind that the UK and the NICE are very cost aware. So in order for them to say, hey, there's value for this, that's pretty impressive. Now let's get into this whole TIR issue. What is time in range? Well, according to this concept trial, time and range represents a mean target hours of around 16 to 17 out of the 24-hour interval, out of a 24-hour day, where patients are in a target range of glucose, all right? So you can see why finger sticks, you're like, nah, you can kind of get a mean, which is good, but it doesn't really tell you the time in range, right? The bottom to the top, where you can actually plot that out, uh, like with a continuous glucose monitor. So according to the authors and what's established as gold standard for time in range with a continuous glucose monitor, here it is. The target range is around 63 to 140 milligrams per deciliter. That's the target range. Now, the mean glucose between that, so you have two different things, the mean, the target range, and then the mean glucose, so the average between, with the goal of mean glucose being about 106 to 117. Okay? So you can just remember the 7 and do 107 to 117, but in some data, it's 106 to 117 milligrams per deciliter. So, target range should be between 63 and 140 with a mean value. So the averages being around 107 to 117. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. The 140 is kind of weird. I mean, why is that kind of high? Well, that takes into account some postprandial immediate values, okay? So, remember that the two-hour postprandial should be less than 120, meaning but before the two-hour marking be as high as 140. So, that's why the 140 is in there. So, everybody relax. The target range is from 63 at the bottom to 140 with a mean glucose of 107 to 117. So that's a big clinical pearl. When we're talking about continuous glucose monitoring, we want two big factors for for tracking okay one is the time in range so the goal is between 16 and 17 hours of a 24-hour period in other words greater than 70 percent time in range that's the first thing and then the second is the mean glucose value so if somebody asks i don't even know how to use a continuous glucose monitor practice what am i looking for oh very easy you want 70 percent of their of the reads to be in range and you want the mean glucose to be between 107 and 117 Another interesting and very important find from the concept trial is that any improvement in time and range as little as five percent was associated with decreased rates of lga and neonatal hypoglycemia so it's all right if if they're only about uh you know 50 percent time and range that's okay the goal is greater than 70 the idea is the more time in range ideally above 50 with a target range of 70 that's what's related to the decrease in those measurable adverse issues like lga neonatal hypoglycemia, and NICU admissions. All right, let's let that settle in for a minute. And when we come back, we're going to talk about putting this into a real-world experience. Because remember, concept was a clinical trial, very regulated. But how does this work with a variety of different monitors in a real-world setting? Well, there's data from 2019 that answers that as well. But let's get to that next. In order to figure out how these monitors work more in a real-world setting and not-so-rigid, scientifically-controlled environment, Christensen et al. published this in 2019 in the Journal of Diabetes Study. Now, I cannot for the life of me say the name of this journal. You're going to have to look it up on the reference list that we have now because I say it different every time. Diabetologia? Diabet The study of diabetes, for heaven's sakes Look, do not make a Hispanic Texan say that word It's horrible So, d- the study of diabetes, how about that? Again, you can check the reference list for that It's Christensen, but I'm not saying that word How the heck do you say that? Diabeto- Diabetologia Diabetologia? That doesn't even make any sense Diabetologia, I don't know Alright, whatever Whatever. Those authors uh, published this observational study of 186 pregnancies using different kinds of machines, all right? So this was 92 real-time continuous glucose monitors and 94 intermittent monitors, those flash devices, all right? And they found pretty much the same thing. It didn't really matter what you used. What matters was time and range. Duh, it's the same thing. So it doesn't matter if you're using the flash one, if you're using the continuous. In this study, others have have uh, published that, look, using a continuous monitor is much better because you're going to pick up episodes of either hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia that are not dependent on you scanning the monitor. And I'm going to give you that that article here in just a minute, specifically regarding nocturnal hyperglycemia. All to say, it doesn't really matter what kind of monitor that you use, although the, the one that gives you the most benefit, the most data, is uh, the real-time glucose continuous monitor as opposed to the intermittent or the flash device now just to be clear this Christensen publication the one that used the other type of monitor uh, once again was in type 1 diabetes not GDM so if you're thinking man where's the GDM data well hold on now, but no, it's true we got to discuss that because while the pre-existing diabetics the class b's class c's and so on tend to be a little bit more difficult to control in general a bit more brittle 90 percent of diabetes in pregnancy in the u.s is gestational so here's where you go man i get it that's great i just don't see that many that have type 1 diabetes or type 2 um what about gestational diabetes well i have that data so why don't we get to that next Even though the foundational data on this has been in patients with type 1 diabetes who become pregnant, and it's now moved on to type 2 diabetes in pregnancy, we now have data on this regarding GDM, gestational diabetes. One of the publications that looked at this in a systematic review, which again I like because it takes a lot of the studies and it kind of clumps it into one, which again has pros and cons, but this systematic review is a quick way to kind of take a look at all the data that's been published to that date. So this is out of Frontiers in Endocrinology uh, from October of 2019. The author stated it very well in the background section of this publication when they said, quote, even though the feasibility and utility of continuous glucose monitors has been proven successful in type one and type two diabetes, there's a lack of knowledge of its application and effectiveness in pregnancy, especially in gestational diabetes. So they conducted a literature search and found 29 publications uh, that went into this Systematic review. Among GDM patients using these continuous glucose monitors, compared to self-monitored blood glucose, that's finger sticks, two randomized controlled trials found no significant difference in macrosomia, birth weight, and gestational age at delivery between the two groups. You're like, well, that's kind of disappointing. Hold on, there's more. But yes, that one showed no significant differences. But one prospective cohort did find a lower incidence of cesarean section and macrosomia in the continuous glucose monitoring group. As a group, those that use continuous glucose monitors, and it makes sense, this isn't mind-blowing, they were consistently found to have increased detection of dysglycemia and glycemic variability compared just to the finger stick group. Remember, fingerstips are good, but they're just giving you that little spot in time. They're not telling you, really, the wide variation that occurs because with the continuous glucose monitoring, remember, you get that TIR value, the time in range. Despite the individual study heterogenicities, the authors concluded, quote, current updated evidence suggests that CGM is superior to self-monitoring of blood glucose among GDM pregnancies. So that's great. That's good news. And even if it just gives us that better detection of glycemic variations, that is directly tied to macrosomia events. And that's why we just don't have enough of that data now. But it would follow that if we can get more patients in range, especially in the late second and early third trimester, then we can impact overall fetal growth. Again, the data is still growing, but there is evidence accumulating that CGMs in gestational diabetic patients is worthwhile. If anything else, it spares the patient QID fingersticks. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, one of the main advantages to continuous glucose monitors, as opposed to the intermittent or the flash ones, is that you can detect variations in glucose when you don't have to scan yourself. And that's one of the issues that a group of researchers out of Melbourne, Australia found in 2020. This was published in the journal Diabetes Technology and Therapeutics, and the title was Continuous Glucose Monitoring Versus Self-Monitoring of Blood Glucose to Assess Glycemia in gestational diabetes oh that reminds me we received a incredibly nice message from somebody in australia i mean how great is this community guys isn't that neat so we're not just about care here in the u.s and what we're doing here uh, or in north america that we can expand this we really are one group uh, of individuals just trying to do the best that we can to take care of patients anyway that's an aside For this study, researchers conducted an observational cohort. This were all women with gestational diabetes between 24 and 28 weeks at time of diagnosis. And this was done at Mercy Hospital for Women in Melbourne, Australia. This included patients that were treated with diet alone and those that required insulin. And as you'd figure it, I mean, if you have a monitor that's looking at glucose levels continuously, this study showed that those that wore continuous glucose monitors, as opposed to those who did self-monitoring of of their glucose levels with finger sticks, they were able to detect increased episodes of nighttime hyperglycemia. And why does that matter? You're like, well, they're asleep. It doesn't matter to them. I, I get that. But it all has to do with that TIR, that time and range. So if you're not checking it when you're asleep, uh, because you're asleep, then you're not going to know that you're out of range. So as the researchers concluded, quote, using continuous glucose monitors provides individuals with a more detailed look at the magnitude and duration of glucose fluctuations. The data can be used in clinical decision making for women with gestational diabetes, end quote. Love it. Yes. Agree. Fine. And more data is coming regarding these monitors and gestational diabetes. If you take a look at the number of sites that are doing trials like this, it's pretty impressive. One of the sites is Oregon Health and Science University. They're, they're recruiting for patients on their site. Good for them. I, I hope that they recruit the number that they need because this really is at the cutting edge. This is at the frontier of how we're going to change diabetic care in pregnancy. Now, before we end the podcast, I do want to leave us with a little bit of hope here in the U.S. Because unlike the U.K., right now, this is not covered by a lot of insurance plans. Uh, No professional society has officially endorsed it. Remember, here at Clinical Pearls, we're all about giving you the data as it's fresh, as it's cutting edge, plus somebody asked for it uh, from our podcast family. So anyway, this is a response to that. But it's a great topic because this is a a fast-moving target in the good direction, okay? For example, here in the U.S., this is great news. Just last month, March 2023, a press release went out saying that the FDA has now cleared Abbott's Freestyle Libre for use in pregnancy. Woo-hoo! So that's for pregnancy type 1, type 2 diabetes, and GDM. How about that? Again, I have no financial interest or proprietary concerns for Freestyle Libre. They're not a sponsor. Uh, but just letting you know that that did get released March 2023. And it's big because now they say, hey, FDA's got a stamp. You can use these things uh, for GDM care. That is fantastic. And that just happened last month. And just to be thorough, the FDA cleared Freestyle Libre 2 and 3 for use with an automated insulin delivery system. Anyway, just didn't want that to escape the discussion because we have to be accurate here what we're putting out. Laura, thank you for your podcast recommendation. I hope you found it helpful. All right, podcast family, we've covered a lot of data regarding real-time continuous glucose monitors in pregnancy. As always, we're thankful for you, and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.